Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, I pray that your word would go forth from Zion to encourage those who hear it, O God, to build up your people, O God. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. A few days ago was a holiday in Israel, the reunification of Jerusalem under Jewish rule, which took place in 1967. So this was actually the 50th anniversary of this event. Many of us in this community went to a movie, which, uh, hello, you don't need a phone to talk to God, so you can turn it off. All right, where was I? So many of us went to a movie commemorating this historic event, and after the movie, uh, the director actually uh, gave some more information. He kind of came, came on, the, on the screen, and he connected uh, some scriptures from the Bible uh, with uh, some of the prophetic uh, things that were happening in, in history. And, and this kind of got me thinking. When we read the prophetic books of the Bible, right, what is the best way to interpret them? Because he was kind of drawing from Ezekiel, and he was drawing from Isaiah and these different texts. And, and it got me thinking, in what way should we view the modern state of Israel through the Bible? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? And how and in what ways does Scripture indicate that we should support the modern state of Israel? Does that sound like an interesting question? All right. Well, we can think of theology as a narrative, as a narrative or a story, which doesn't mean that it didn't really happen, but it means, when I say narrative, I mean a way to construct the events, right, to bring cohesion, to bring a unified message. That is what good theology strives to do. So when we look at history or a historical event, we're always describing it from a particular point of view. We all have a point of view. Do we understand that? And the way that you construct a narrative can greatly impact the effect of a story, right? So in this case, we can think of a newspaper editor, right? Imagine this guy, right? And he, he's controlling what parts of the story actually get printed and what parts don't get printed. He's, you know, the writer comes and with the whole story and he's like, well, we'll include this, we'll take this out, we'll add this. And he also controls the order that it appears on the page, right? So we understand that the editor has a lot of uh, power in terms of how the story is understood. So when we talk about theology, a theologian is a newspaper editor for scripture. Do we understand that so far? Are you tracking with me? So whenever we talk about Messianic Jewish theology, um, it's helpful to frame the narrative of Scripture in a certain way. All right? By contrast, uh, we can look at the traditional Christian narrative of Scripture uh, as, a, as a starting point. So if you were to ask uh, Joe Christian, what is the story of the Bible, you might come up with something like this, and there's traditionally four points that they would make to you. Number one, the Garden of Eden. How were things in the Garden of Eden? Great. They were great. Everything was not just great, but perfect, right? It was perfect, perfect 
uh, relationship between God and us and perfect relationship among the humans that were there at the time. I think it was just two, all right? But still, it was good, all right? And then the second point in traditional Christian theology is referred to as the fall of mankind, which is a theological term. It's not actually in the scripture, but that refers to when we ate the fruit, we disobeyed God, and sin and death entered the world. Uh, We understand that, right? And then number three, the third point of this theology, of this narrative, would be what do you think? The reversal of of that problem. Yeshua, and what part of the story of Yeshua would they tell you? The, the, what is referred to as the crucifixion, right? Yeshua on the tree, usually referred to as the cross. Um, Yeshua died on the tree for our sins would be point number three. And then point number four would be something like the consummation, which is the perfection of all things. Uh, someday all things will be made perfect just like it was in point one in the Garden of Eden. Okay. So what are the good things about this traditional Christian narrative, this, this traditional Christian theology? Well, number one, is this all true? Yes, these are all true. We, uh, we, we affirm the truth of these things. And what's another good thing? Well, this story, this theology, has brought the saving knowledge of Yeshua to the ends of the earth, right? Every nation... Uh, almost basically, and on the earth has heard this story of Yeshua that he saves, is particularly point number three, that he died on the tree for our sins. So those are both good points, right? But what about the negative parts of this narrative? Well, point number one, the Garden of Eden, when does that take place? In the Bible. In the beginning, <laughs> very sheet. So that would be Genesis 1, chapter 1. Okay? And point number two, the entering of sin and death. Where does that take place, Joanna? Probably Genesis 3, so two chapters later. And then the death of Yeshua on the tree takes place where in the Bible? Let's say the end of Matthew. Is that fair? All right? And the perfection of all things... That would be probably in the book of Revelation. Okay? So we have a good narrative here, but I just just feel like there's something missing. Right? You go chapter 1, chapter 3, and then you skip a few things, and then the end of the first gospel is the third point. So what's missing there? (laughs) The whole, almost the entire Tanakh, almost the entire Hebrew scriptures, specifically God's covenantal love relationship with the children of Israel, the Jewish people. So in doing Messianic Jewish theology, we can think of the narrative of the Bible to be a covenantal love narrative. Say that with me. Covenantal love narrative. Copyright pending, David Wine, 2017. This covenantal love is with all the nations, all the nations that God created, but it is most specifically applied in the context of Scripture to the children of Israel, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. Now, the idea of covenant and land are linked 
There's a link between them in Scripture. The first covenant God makes with is, does anyone know? Before Abraham. Noah, yes. All right? He's considered the father of all the nations. And so all the other covenants are actually with uh, the children of Jacob, the Jewish people. But this, the first one is not. It's with Noah. So let's check out the covenant. This is the first covenant that God makes with humanity. This is in, uh, we're going to look at Genesis 9, verse 1, and then 8 through 11. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? We'll come back to that. And then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him. He said, As for me, I am herewith establishing my covenant with you, with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every wild animal with you, all going out of the ark, every animal on earth. I will establish my covenant with you that never again will all living beings be destroyed by the waters of a flood. And there will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. Okay, a few things are important here. Number one, first, we notice there's a callback here to God's command to Adam in Genesis 1. What is that? Be fruitful and multiply. This commandment is essentially the very first commandment in the Torah. So therefore, it is of primary importance. Amen? Be fruitful and multiply. It has been understood to be more than the face value. So we, we don't think that God is saying, okay, Adam, get with your wife and make some more people. It's probably something more than that. Amen? Okay? So in the context of a covenantal love narrative, what do we understand this to be? This means the knowledge of God, the love of God, and the ways of God are to go out from the garden to the ends of the earth. And so the command repeated to Noah, the same command, the father of all nations, Noah, you have the same calling as Adam. Be fruitful and multiply my love, my ways upon the earth. Is this a fair construction of the narrative so far? Yes. But notice the word repeated in the, in the text. Can we bring it back up, Robert? There's a word repeated, and that word is land or earth. The word in Hebrew is ha'aretz, be fruitful and multiply and fill the ha'aretz, fill the earth. Now, this may seem obvious to some, but God's covenant has a context, and that context is ha'aretz. It's the land. God will never again destroy the earth, the land, at least using water. The purpose of the land is connected with the first commandment ever given to Adam and repeated to Noah. Remember, God destroyed most of humanity because of what? Great and heightened wickedness and intense evil and injustice on the earth. So this time God's message is, hey, children of Noah, which would be all of us. Let's use this land, Haaretz, for good. Let's be image bearers of God to reflect his ways and his love. Let's bring God's intimacy and love for us and intimacy and love for each other, the harmony of the Garden of Eden, to the ends of the earth. We see that it is a repetition of that commandment. 
God's second covenant in Scripture is with our good friend Abraham, Avraham, first called Abram. And this has Haaretz written all over it. But now the land is more specifically defined. The covenant starts with a linchpin scripture for Messianic Jewish theology. And this is what it says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now, Adonai said to Avram, get yourself out of your country, which in Hebrew is Haaretz, away from your kinsmen and away from your father's house and go to the land, again, Haaretz, that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you are to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who curses you and by you or through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The continuation of the covenantal love narrative, the commandment to Adam and Noah, is now more clearly defined. God will bless all of the nations of the earth through the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people. But notice again the beginning of the passage. The word country is Haaretz, and the land that God will show Abram, also Haaretz. So God says, get away from your Aretz, your land, and go to another Aretz that I am giving you to bless all the nations of the earth from that particular geographic location. Perhaps this location is close to the original garden, for it is implied that the garden, the beginning of humanity, is in the fertile crescent between the Tigris and the Euphrates. At the edge of the fertile crescent is the land that God is giving Abram. So God is choosing a specific place to give the descendants of Abraham, but with the same purpose and narrative as with Adam and Noah, just more specific. That land, as we will see, is the land of Canaan. In Genesis 15, God clarifies his covenant again, starting out with Abraham's trusting, trusting that God would bless him and his descendants. And these are excerpts from Genesis 15, 6 through 21. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated there. This, of course, is the Exodus narrative. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. So you're not even going to know about this Exodus, but it's something I'm going to do in the future, God is saying. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back, where? Here. To your descendants, wait, sorry. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. From the Wadi of Egypt, to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, the land of Canaan, Girgashites, and... Jebusites. Now, the Jebusites, that's interesting. 
right? That last group, where, where did they live? Jerusalem. They occupied the area of Jerusalem, which brings us back to the beginning of the sermon. When the children of Abraham once again took over the city of Jerusalem in the land of Israel, the land that was formerly the land of Canaan. But God's covenant with Abraham is not as one-sided as the covenant with Noah was. That is, no matter what we do as humans, no matter how bad we get, God is never again going to destroy the earth, at least not by a flood. So some covenants, as we will see, have two parts. God's part and our part. With Noah, there was only a hint of that responsibility. He was, God was showing him, this is your purpose for, for, being, for using the earth, right? For bringing my ways out to the ends of the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. But with Abraham, there's more specific responsibility. And this is what it says in Genesis 17. I'm establishing my covenant between you and me, along with your descendants after you, generation after generation, as an everlasting covenant to be God for you and your descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are now foreigners, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, as for you, you are to keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, generation after generation, and here is my covenant which you are to keep between you and me, along with your descendants after you, Every male among you is to be circumcised, and you are to be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. This will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So here we see that circumcision, a sign of Jewish identity, and that our lives belong to God, is the human part. And the giving of the land of Canaan to Israel is God's part. Circumcision is a sign of obedience, and it's a sign of belonging, that we, the children of Abraham, will belong to God and follow his ways and portray his covenantal love. To me, it's a sign that we will continue the commandment to Noah and Adam. However, continuing in the narrative of Scripture, we see that the promise of the land to the Jewish people is not is not unconditional. This land, the land of Israel, was the center of the ancient world. It was the part of the Fertile Crescent that connected Asia, Africa, and Europe. And this was where Hashem chose to root the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be a blessing to the nations. So what happens when they're not? What happens when they don't fulfill this? What is the natural consequence of not being a light to the nations, of injustice and idolatry? Exile. We were kicked out. Kicked out just as we were kicked out of the garden. But still, the calling of the Israelites remains to be a light to the nations where they are in exile and to hope that someday they will come back to the land of promise. This hope is the hope of the prophets, and it is in this context that the prophets wrote. And one of the most striking examples of this is the hope in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel prophesied judgment against the Israelites for their idolatry, 
their lack of justice, their moral failings, and their rejection of God's ways and love, specifically outlined in the Torah. But then, Ezekiel speaks hope. He speaks of hope after the exile of a return to Haaretz. And he describes it like this. And in this passage, this is Ezekiel 37. So he has just talked about the valley of the dry bones, which is a very famous passage of scripture in which Israel is represented as a dead pile of bones and that God will raise them up, put the sinews and all the muscles back on them and then breathe his ruach. That's what I talked about last time, right? His ruach, his, his spirit into them and they will live. So right after this, this is what it says in Ezekiel 37. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. At this time, the, the, the kingdom of Israel was split between the tribes. And they will no longer defile themselves with their idols or in vile images with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant, who? David, will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees, my Torah. They will live in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there for a little while, forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince for a little while? No, forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then all the nations will know the same, the same purpose. We see it, right? Blessing the nations. All the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. So first of all, who is this servant David? Is it, is it the literal David? Is it King David? It can't be. It can't be because David, when, when Ezekiel was writing, he'd been dead for uh, hundreds of years already. So it has to be the figurative David. It has to be the Messiah. The king descended from David, right? And like David, David had a heart after God who would pastorally rule over the children of Jacob. Notice also that the sanctuary the Mikdash, and the dwelling place, the Mishkan, will be among the people in that land forever. That is, the presence of God will be among the people of Israel in the land of Israel. And this is the hope of the prophets that we must pray for and we must work for. At a conference in 2014, the UMJC, which is one of our umbrella organizations, they adopted a statement on the modern state of Israel, and they pulled together a lot of the same ideas that I shared with you. And here is that statement. 
The Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations, UMJC, supports the existence of the Jewish homeland, Jewish state, in Israel. The UMJC supports the right of the nation of Israel to exist within safe and secure borders and the right of all Israelis to freely live and travel without the threat of terrorism. We affirm the historic connection between the Jewish people and the land of Israel, as well as God's promise to give the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the land of Israel as an eternal inheritance, as the Torah states. I will establish my covenant with you as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, a foreigner. I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you. I will be their God from Genesis 17, 7 through 8. We further recognize that the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel in modern times was foretold by the prophets. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. From, again, from our friend Ezekiel, chapter 36, just before the part that I read. In addition, the historical sufferings and persecutions of the Jewish people, culminating in the Holocaust of World War II, demonstrated to the community of nations that the Jewish people have an inherent need for their own homeland. The establishment of the Jewish state justly protects Jewish continuity and safety. The UMJC also affirms the current and future Aliyah, Jewish immigration to Israel, as a fulfillment of scripture. And they give another scripture from Jeremiah. The UMJC therefore supports the right of Jewish people to immigrate to their historic homeland. In light of the vision of peace conveyed by the Jewish prophets, we look toward a future in which the current suffering of both Jews and Arabs in the Middle East will be replaced by true peace. This same vision of the future compels us to work and hope for peace today as our Messiah instructs us, blessed are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, verse 9. Therefore, the UMJC prayerfully supports genuine efforts toward peacemaking between Israel and Arab parties in the Middle East, especially regarding the current Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Throughout the scriptures, Israel as a people is called to be what? A light, an example to the other nations of the world. And they give some scriptures to back that up. We believe that the modern state of Israel is an heir to this calling, which is reflected in her thriving democracy where civil rights are enshrined in law. Therefore, the UMJC encourages the equal application of Israel's laws to all of her citizens and the preservation, continuation, and growth of human rights for all of Israel's minority groups. In addition, the UMJC encourages its congregations to work for the welfare of the state of Israel, to pray for the land and its safety, to visit the land, thereby expressing support for the nation and its inhabitants. The UMJC expresses particularly sor particular solidarity with the Messianic Jewish community in Israel, encouraging all congregations to work and pray for its welfare. Finally, the UMJC recognizes Arab Christians as fellow members of the body of Messiah. <clears throat> we encourage our congregations, as well as the entire Christian community, to pray for peace between Israel and her neighbors. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Psalm 122, verse 6. Now, it would be easy for me to stop the sermon right here. I know we're all probably hungry. But I want to add something. 
As I mentioned in the beginning, the Messianic Jewish narrative is not the only narrative of Scripture. There's other narratives. There's other theologies. The traditional Christian narrative that I mentioned is a viable theology, although our community would maintain that it leaves a lot out that's very important, specifically God's relationship with Israel. But there are other narratives. There are other theologies. And if we are compassionate disciples of Yeshua, we will extend as much compassion and understanding as we can possibly muster in order to hear these narratives, even if it includes language that is difficult for us to hear. One important narrative comes from our brothers and Messiah, the Christian Palestinians in the land, Haaretz. And I want to include their narrative as an exercise in reconciliation, compassion, and empathy. The reality is that Palestinians in Israel have suffered. And we cannot be blind to their suffering simply because it does not fit with our narrative. So I'm going to read some excerpts from what's called the Kairos document. It's a parallel to the UMJC statement, but it's written by Palestinian Christian leaders. And uh, Jamie Cowan told me that he has read it and worked with this document in the reconciliation work that he has done in Israel. This is what it says, quote, We, a group of Palestinian Christians, after prayer, reflection, and an exchange of opinion, cry out from within the suffering in our country under the Israeli occupation. That's how they, they frame it. With a cry of hope in the absence of all hope, a cry full of prayer and faith in a God ever vigilant, in God's divine providence for all the inhabitants of the land. Inspired by the mystery of God's love for all, the mystery of God's divine presence in the history of all peoples, and in a particular way in the history of our country, our Haaretz. We proclaim our word based on our Christian faith and our sense of Palestinian belonging, a word of faith, hope, and love. The separation wall, which is how they refer to the Israel would call that the security wall, erected on Palestinian territory, a large part of which has been confiscating for this purpose, has turned our towns and villages into prisons, separating them from one another, making them dispersed and divided cantons. Gaza, especially after the cruel war Israel launched against it in December 2008 and January 2009, continues to live in inhuman conditions under permanent blockade and cut off from other Palestinian territories. Jerusalem is the heart of our reality. It is at the same time a symbol of peace and a sign of conflict. While the separation wall divides Palestinian neighborhoods, Jerusalem continues to be emptied of its Palestinian citizens, Christians, and Muslims. Their identity cards are confiscated, which means the loss of their right to reside in Jerusalem. Their homes are demolished or expropriated. Jerusalem, city of reconciliation, has become a city of discrimination and exclusion, a source of struggle rather than peace. Our Lord Jesus Christ came, proclaiming the kingdom of God was near. He provoked a revolution in the faith and life of all humanity. He came with a new teaching, casting a new light on the Old Testament, on the themes that relate to our Christian faith and our daily lives, themes such as promises and election, the people of God and the land. 
We believe that the word of God is a living word, casting a particular light on each period of history, manifesting to Christian believers what God is saying to us here and now. Christ our Lord said, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. He has already shown us how to love and how to treat our enemies. He said, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Through our love, we will overcome injustices and establish foundations for a new society, both for us and our opponents. Our future and their future are one, either the cycle of violence that destroys both of us or peace that will benefit both, unquote. So, the question at hand How should we support the modern state of Israel as a Messianic Jewish community? Here are my suggestions. Number one, we can support the right of Israel to exist, but admit that not every decision that the leaders make or have made is perfect or godly. The modern nation of Israel, just like the ancient nation of Israel, is not perfect and it is not our savior. Yeshua is the only perfect savior. <clears throat> Number two, we can remember God's advice to the Israelites, which I think holds true for the modern nation. He said, be kind to the strangers in your midst, for remember, you were strangers in Egypt. Number three, we can understand that a viable scriptural narrative is that Hashem gave the land of Israel to the children of Israel, but with certain conditions, and specifically for a purpose to be a blessing to the nations around her. And number four, we can pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalu shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for those whom we may consider enemies and support genuine efforts for peace, knowing and trusting that the fullness of peace is in the Prince of Peace, Yeshua the Messiah, as it says in Ezekiel, the king forever, like David, the king of peace. Amen? Avinu Malkenu, our father and our king, we do pray for the land of Israel. We pray that you would bring peace. You would bring it through Yeshua the Messiah. You would show us how to stretch and how to be compassionate um, to, to others and to be like Yeshua in everything that we do and say, oh God, and uh, that you would um, use our community to be a light in this city, oh God, the Messianic Jewish community, oh God, and in Yeshua's name we pray, amen.